Well, welcome back uh, to all our listeners out there. My name's Pastor Tim, right here from New York City, and I'm here with my brother Jonathan from down there in South Carolina. How are you doing there this morning, Jonathan? Doing fantastic. Uh, really excited to get into this scripture. Um, really excited to uh, just continue to dig in. Timothy, we've been talking recently. We can give people a little taste of this, but we've been talking recently about what the next step is uh, for Project 1517. And uh, here we are uh, just starting to finish up Amos, and we made some plans. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to, you want to tell them? <laughs> we we were we wanted to jump uh take a jump we've been doing amos here and uh this fall we wanted to announce to everybody that we're going to take a really precious book of the bible called jude and uh we're going to look at jude coming up this fall and uh, we're really excited to do that so the reason why we can do that is because we might have one or two other listeners besides our mom listening and <laughs> which wanna, is a positive thing it's worth yeah, continuing we want to thank you for listening and hope that you've been blessed and, and if you have been just give us a quick review on itunes or google play wherever you're listening and um that'll help others get this word in their lives as well uh we're also you know i'm really excited about today too we we're actually getting into the only narrative in the whole book of amos this is in a narrative, it's the story. And so like, as a lot of people look at Amos and what the story is in Amos, you really have to look at Amos 7. That's what we're going to take today. Amos 7 verses uh, 10 to 17. And you have to see that literally as a key, an interpretive key to the whole book to to to, un, to understand what's going on. You you agree with that, Jonathan, when, when people say that? Yeah, it, it clearly it must be pretty important history, it must be pretty important narrative since it is the only narrative in Amos that gives us some context besides what we know from other books of the Bible and history. Um you got some very real history here that knits together what what Amos has been doing and saying the whole time. So just to notice a, a couple of the, the features of this story, and it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful story of a, a confrontation between prophet Amos and priest Amaziah. The first thing that I think is kind of funny is that Amos tells it in the third person. So he, this is his book, but he writes uh, about himself um, not in the first person, so he doesn't say, you know, um, I answered Amaziah. He says, Amos answered Amaziah. And I I always think of that Seinfeld episode where that that guy refers to himself in the third person. But um, this is this is exactly what's happening here in the book. So that's that's interesting to kind of follow. A lot of prophets do that. And um, and also just notice the location of the narrative. Do you? What do you think about the fact, Jonathan, that this narrative, this story, um, is plopped right down in between the third vision and the fourth vision? Well, the timing is extraordinary. If, if you've been following through the podcast, uh, we, we talked about how Amos in those uh, visions, in those apocalyptic 
uh, scenes uh, has this disappearing act. And really, this narrative tells us why he does disappear, why God's judgment grows um, and the mediator gets less. And the reason is made clear by this narrative here. They, yeah, in, there's a rejection of the word of God. In other words, so you can you can see the real story happening, sort of behind the visions. Mm-hmm. But I, one thing I think we're going to have to point out as we go through the podcast, and we can start right now, is that in vision number three, which is the plumb line. And we went through that in the last podcast. Amos says he 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 promises uh, a punishment, and he and it says, "With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam." And then in this little narrative, what Amaziah is going to say, Amos is saying, is Jeroboam will die by the sword, right? So so you this is what you have then you have. Uh, the vision of Amos saying this is what's going to happen. And then apparently Amos is telling people his vision and Amaziah is going to respond to it in a bad kind of way. So you have, you have this interplay in between the visions and the narrative. So some people would say this is an in- interpolation, like somebody stuck an editor, put the story in there later. But it's absolutely not the case. It this this narrative belongs right here after vision number three. Right it there. follows. Yeah. It does follow. It yeah. follows. Yeah. Even though it's a very uh traumatic um sort of change of genres. Here you go straight from apocalyptic literature into a narrative. But it, it's powerful when you see the connections between the two. Yeah. And it's almost like, I think we should get into the story itself. Then it's almost very shocking how the, the vision starts then it, or excuse me, the story, because it's right in the middle of the story. Like in verse 10, it says, then Amaziah, the pre, the, the priest of Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. And he says, Amos is raising conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. So it's like you're dropped right in the middle of the story. Something happened before this. We don't know what it is. Um, but this is this is in the middle of the story because we got a then sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> cause and effect. And what was the cause? <laughs> I mean, this, is, this isn't a kid's book saying once upon a time. Like this is on page 10 of the book (laughs) if that makes sense then amaziah so lots of stuff has happened it didn't make it in the sacred scripture but this one did this one did and so amaziah is sending this report back to jeroboam the the king and he says for this is what amos is saying uh, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their uh, native land. So, what are some things like like that we can take away from that little report? Is that an honest and true report? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. 
Amos is raising a conspiracy. <laughs> Talk about spin, right? Talk about spin. spin yeah, Amazon's a great politician, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So you can you can use language to put a spin on what's actually happening. Um <laughs> And he, he's very careful with his words. Like in verse 11, he says, for this is what Amos is saying. He's going to quote him, sort of. <laughs> I mean, that, and that's huge because it's, Amos isn't saying he's saying it. I mean, it's coming out of his mouth. We can admit that. But it, it's the whole, thus saith the Lord from the old KJV, right? This isn't yeah. what Amos is saying. This is, this is what the Lord showed me. That's the whole thing. And Amos yeah. is just reporting it. But Amaziah spins it right there too. And he says, Amos is saying this. You know. And and then he he does twist it a little bit. So not only does does Amaziah gut the actual sender of the message, which he says, Okay, it's 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 really Amos saying this and but and there's no he has no authority, like it's, this isn't really coming from God, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um but he also twists the message just a little bit, like almost like you have to pay attention, otherwise you won't recognize it. But Amos had been saying, "Look, this is going to come against the house of Israel. This is uh, so or, very or broad, Jeroboam. very yeah. broad. Like it's going to cover the whole thing, the, the whole kingdom, the, yeah. the yeah, the whole thing." And then what Amos does is he personalizes it against the king himself. And so he says, Amazon is, yeah. is going to personalize it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so he twists it just a little bit, which is, you know, it reminds me of Satan, right? Satan takes words from God and then he, he spins them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have a <laughs> just broad, a little bit. Yep. You have a broad, very broad threat with my sword. I'll rise against the house of Jeroboam. That's in the, the, the third vision. And then it becomes very narrow, uh, according to Amaziah. So he lies, like it's this serpentine, satanic lie that it's just going to be Jeroboam who's going to deny by the sword. And that's very threatening. And probably the most uh, troubling word to me here is is the word conspiracy. So when when Amaziah... uh, comes to Jeroboam and sends this message, he says, look, it's, it's a conspiracy, which is another word. It's another word for plans, if you think about it. Somebody's plan. Because here's the thing, like God, the Lord certainly is planning. He's always planning. And when the Lord lays out plans, it's always uh, for grace and always for salvation. And so when he's sending Amos, he's he's really aiming at repentance and a turnaround and we've talked about that a gazillion times in this book but what Amaziah the priest says is Amos doesn't have uh, good plans for you he has diabolical plans for you this is a this is a conspiracy he wants to cut off your head and you know what it's interesting too Amaziah is great at spin he's a great politician what he leaves out you know you read amos's book and so you get this and we've been we're already in chapter seven whoa and so you start to understand 
his message and his message is not it's not first you're gonna die and go into exile it's what first is what he says is the sins it's the sins so you have like the this the slavery and this um, the sins of the nations and uh, the taking advantage of girls making them into prostitutes and selling your neighbor for crocs you know all of these different things but crafty amaziah is going to ignore all of these political and social realities and just kind of focus in on the fact that amos amos just wants to eliminate the king so his spiritual in other words what you have here is a spiritual leader who's doing everything possible to help this king not to repent it's that he wants to keep the status quo right he wants to keep and the status quo and that's what's going to have as we're going to see the most deadly consequences of all yeah going so, forward so amaziah he steps into the shoes of like priest eli or caiaphas later in the bible i mean he's just a bad priest he he doesn't actually care about his people and and you see that you see that immediately because you have a true prophet who I mean, should we read these next two verses here? Yeah, I think so. Just to get into what Amaziah is going to... We have this massive, here go the fireworks confrontation now. All right, so I'm, here I am. I'm in verse 12, and I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. So, like, yeah, he's accusing Amos of being a professional prophet. Like, he's just doing this for personal gain, when really Amaziah is doing this stuff for personal gain. And he, he actually names, I mean, this is the death blow in verse 13 where he says don't prophesy anymore like he's he he jonathan he he's basically saying we don't need the word of god around here <laughs> get get out of here <laughs> uh, we don't we don't need the saving life that the word of god brings <laughs> take take your show on the road you know (laughs) and what's scary about this is he just makes this decision all by himself so what seems to be happening in this account here is amaziah sends a message to jeroboam he so he sets this thing up right he he sets this thing up and before he ever gets a message from the king saying um you're right this is really bad um why don't we toss him out of the kingdom together? Amaziah just moves on and says, I'm going to make a unilateral decision. Amos, get out of here. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> Amaziah is acting on his, on his own authority. You know, I love Luther's wor- words on this, so appropriate. Luther said this, This account is well worth noting. In it, one can see what ungodliness is and what it thinks of the word of God, how it despises everything that is of God, 
in order to keep its own things safe. <laughs> so brilliant because you look at, just to unpack this final phrase here, what is Amaziah really concerned about? What's he, what's he really after? And it's this. Uh, here's his foundation. Because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. I want to keep what's mine. I want to keep my power. I want to keep my position. And, and you, so, Amos, you're threatening that. Get out of here. So you know, you know what this really is? This is a massive worldview conflict. That's what this is. This is a worldview conflict. Amaziah thinks that Jeroboam is the king and that the, the temple belongs to Jeroboam. And Amos doesn't think that at all. Amos thinks that the Lord is the king. He's the Melech. He's in, in Hebrew, right? That's what Melech, yeah. Hebrew word for king is Melech, yeah. And Amos, Amos thinks that the kingdom belongs to the Lord. And it's, it's just stunning that, um, it's, it's, it's so stunning that a priest of, of the Lord would, would, would share a broken worldview that the the politicians of the day are the ones really in charge, right? So it's so it's a, in one sense it's a massive, massive confusion of church and state right here. Amaziah mm. thinks that he should just be this puppet of the state, and Amos like, no, this belongs to the Lord. See. Mm-hmm. Now, what's, what's interesting is this is huge prep work, if you think about it, for what happens in the New Testament. Because the true and rightful heir of the kingdom of God, of the temple, of, of the people of God, shows up. And, of course, what do they do with him? Yeah, they, they expel him out of the city and hang him on a cross. Yeah. And, you know, thanks for saying that, because it kind of, Pilate's having the same conversation. I mean, this is why Jesus was actually convicted. He's, this is the king of the Jews. And, and Pilate asked him, are you really a king? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. So, like, th this, this is an ongoing worldview conflict. Who's the king? What's the kingdom? You know, who has real authority in it. Right. Which and, is in <laughs> the Bible's answers, it's the people with the word of God in their hands, the, the, the chariots and the horses of Israel and the strength of Israel are the prophets, the people with the word of God. And when Amaziah says, don't prophesy anymore, he just spelled the end of, the, of days for Israel. That's it. Yeah. So, so to put it, let's to put it another way. When is kingdom work really happening? When is power really being exercised? And the answer of the Bible is, um, <laughs> to use your to use an Old Testament metaphor, when Elijah goes up into heaven, um, everybody's going, "That's the power. That's the horses. That's the whole thing." You know. The, the, the prophetic ministry. Of, the, the preachers of the word of God. The, the people, people handling the word. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's what's so crazy. Nobody recognizes that, right? Nobody sees true power. 
when uh, it's really there. And that's what you have in the next verses, right? Yeah, so in starting with verse 14, we've been going two verses at a time, if our listeners have noticed that. So we, we've seen the report that Amaziah gives. We've seen the order that Amaziah gives to Amos. And now we're going to see the uh, apologia, that's a Latin word for defense, the defense of Amos. And so Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. So, you know, why does he respond? Why does he defend himself the way he does? You know, what, what's going on there? Well, so you have, you have the priest Amaziah coming and saying, you're just trying to earn bread. Like, go somewhere else and make money, you know? And so Amaziah's first thing is, Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I was, I was doing just fine. You know, I was, I had another career. You know, I was a shepherd. I took care of sycamore fig trees. I was. <laughs> I don't need this fine. grief from you. <laughs> yeah, like I was doing just fine. Like I, and he, and basically he says, look, I wasn't a prophet. I was not a son of a prophet. So in other words, he, what he's saying is, I never went to seminary. You know, I wasn't in yeah. some kind of prophet school. I didn't, I'm not this, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not who you say. I am. I'm not in it for the money. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it really is a, a great response to Amaziah. He's saying the Lord prompted me to do this and, and you need to, you need to tune in. Um, yeah. And that's what he says in verse 15 then. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So like, there's so many, oh, Amos, he joins a, a person like Moses who was taken from behind the flocks. He joins a person like David who's taken behind the flocks. And he's right in that line, you know, a, a true prophet. Um, and of course, you know, you track that forward and you think about Jesus, the the good shepherd who lays down his, his life for the sheep. And, and you can see that Amos just is in that line, protecting the sheep. I think one other thing's going on is that Amos is actually identifying himself with, with the farmer, uh, with the lay person, with the people who are being oppressed in this book. And he's saying, I'm with them. I'm the voice of them. Yeah. I'm the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm now, not some professional one, one prophet. One thing I wanted to... Yeah. One thing I think it, that's worth noticing, and especially in our age, because I think each age, each era of the world has to, has to really think about like, what's going on in their culture. Is there, was a, there was a book that was written um, not, not that long ago in terms of world history, but there's a book called As One Without Authority. And so we live in this, we live in this age where nobody has any true voice. Nobody has any real authority. You can't tell me what's right and what's wrong. I have to decide that for myself. And you have exactly that going on. Um, Amaziah cannot see that Amos has real authority. Amos has real foundation. Amos has real backing. 
And that's really true of pastors today, too, sent people from God, is there are so many people sitting in our pews and in our chairs who are going to look at a look at a man and they're going to say, who are you to talk to me? You know? And, and in some senses, they're right to say that. Who are you? Like, who are you? And yeah, Amos would say that, like, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. But well, I am sent. When you're sent from the Lord, though. And, and so, like, you know, you, sometimes people don't say it, but they're thinking it like, pastor, that's just your opinion, you know. Or pastor, that's just what you say. And, and they don't understand that the pastor derives, when he speaks in line with the word of the Lord, he derives his authority from the Lord. And that's mm-hmm. a massive worldview conflict that's happening there. Right? Massive, massive, massive. And, and in fact, this is the big thing, too, is in, in the New Testament, when Jesus does his sending, because he does do sending, that's, that's his big thing. Like, now... He, he says, look, you guys, my disciples, are going to be my voice in the world. And so we come with divine authority. You know, you guys got to go do this now. And that's what people don't understand. When they're tossing us out of houses, when they're stringing us up, when they're killing us, when they're persecuting Christians, they are persecuting Jesus himself. Because we are his voice, we are his hands, and we are his feet in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Jesus ends up saying to Paul. Like, you're persecuting me. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and so that's the exact thing that's going here. You got a guy who's sent from, sent from God, just as now Jesus' disciples come from Jesus himself. So I, we got a few trailing verses here. You, you know, if you're if you go to a Lutheran church or to a, to a church that follows what you call the lectionary or the selected readings that are read in many denominations, you're actually not ever going to hear in church verses uh, sixteen and seventeen because um, you know the editors of the lectionary made a judgment call and said we don't think this is appropriate for Sunday morning. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> maybe they think that the people sitting in the chairs or in the pews can't handle this. I don't know. You know, we'd ask, we'd have to ask them, but maybe we should just read these verses and just, these are heavy. Um, they're what's called a malediction. So this isn't a blessing. This is the opposite of a blessing this or, or a, the opposite of a benediction. Yeah, this is a malediction. And there's five of them. <laughs> like you, you have a pentad here. So there's five things that are going to go wrong. Seven and five are big numbers. So he says, Amos responds to this. And he says, now then hear the word of the Lord. So this isn't the, the word of Amos. It's the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. And so here's the Lord's response. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. One, your wife will become a prostitute in the city. And, and that's the most shocking one. So, like, she's going to get raped. She's going to be like a prostitute when, when these, these uh, raiders come in. Two, your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. That's tough to, for me to hear. Um, three, your land will be measured and divided up. Four, and you will, yourself will die in a pagan country, so you'll be in exile. And five, and Israel will go into exile away from their native land. 
So these are hard words, you know. This is it's not that's not quite the Lord bless you and keep you, <laughs> you know. That's not quite that. Yeah. So why, you know, one one of the big questions here is why is the family got to suffer for something Amaziah did? And and the answer is because they're in it too. Yeah. They're this right up, they're right in there with supporting him. Well. him. Yeah. yeah. Supporting him and and I, I don't think we should shy away from saying that this is exactly what happened. Um, as as awful as it is, this is the result of sin. This is this is the Lord's judgment on unbelief and taking advantage of others. He says, "Okay, my I'm going to relieve you of my protection." And it's interesting because then the story just ends. That's it. There's <laughs> Where's the rest of the narrative? That's it. You so know, we, we, we said this is the only narrative. At the beginning of the story, we're, we come in in the middle of it, we said that, and now it just drops. That's it. There's no more story to the book of Ames. That's it. Um, what happened? <laughs> yeah. That's the heart. So it's like Sopranos. It's like, remember the Sopranos? Everybody was upset. Because the guy's coming into the shop with the gun, and then it just blacks out, and they're like, "Did he die?" <laughs> this is Timothy. This is a very common biblical technique, though. Yeah, the Gospel of the Gospel of Mark will end on a cliffhanger. Um, we don't know what book, happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, we could go around. Did Jesus come back from the dead? <laughs> yeah, like it's a cliff, cliffhanger, and then you. you I, I mean, just to name another one, Jonah. Jonah's another cliffhanger. <laughs> Jonah was out there in the desert, you know, do we, did he repent? Did he turn around? Did he? <laughs> and, you know, we, you have know. To, we have to ask, like, why does Amos do that? Why does he come in in the middle of the story and then leave it in the way he does? Like, we don't know what happens to Amos. We don't know what happens to Amaziah. And I think the, the reason is, is, is because of us. He, he wants us to think about, am, am I standing with Amaziah or with Amos? You know, am, am I with Amos here in the word of the Lord, even when it's countercultural? Or am I more like Amaziah wanting to keep the structures of my life intact and not wanting to be bothered by the word of God? So those, that's, a, that's a key question. That's a key question. And the answer is, if if I know sin in me and I understand myself, the answer is if it was up to me, I'd I'd probably stand with Amaziah. But I want to flip this for just a minute and say that's not what the Lord had planned. Because what happens in world history is um, the Lord isn't going to let us write the end of our own narrative. He's, this is what he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write the end of the narrative. And the way he did it is he said, uh, I'm going to send my son. And he is, he is the word of God. He's, I'm going to send God incarnate. I'm going to send the true and ultimate message, and I'm going to put him right in front of you. And he's going to preach to us. And he's going to die for us. And he's going to rise for us. And it's just... Like that's that's the story of the Bible, isn't it? He's sending guys like Amos to intervene in this mess. Jesus and, thinks it is, right? Think about yeah. the the parable of 
of the tenants, right? He said, look, I kept... <laughs> I keep sending. <laughs> I keep sending, sending, sending. You guys tr mistreated my prophets. You guys killed my prophets. You didn't listen to them. Now I'm going to send my son. And you look at God and you're like, Lord, <laughs> you keep sending servants that keep getting abused. Finally, your son got killed. <laughs> You're crazy, God. Why do you keep doing this? And the answer is because he loves us. Such massive love. And he's going to keep and, inter interrupting our lives. You know, he's going to keep coming. And he pursues us and he pursues us and he wins our hearts to himself. It's amazing when you think about the heart of God and you see it here in Amos. Yeah. He sends Amos right into the teeth of unbelief, you know. So maybe we should we maybe we should leave it there and be like and just kind of on a cliffhanger is what now in your life you know will you will you hear this unrelenting gracious God and His call to repentance or will you stand and try to keep the structures of your life intact like Amaziah right. <laughs> And then the the answer of the psalmist keeps ringing in my head. Do not harden your hearts. Yeah. As you did at the waters of Meribah. Don't do it. Amen. Listen to his voice. Amen. So we're going to, next time, we'll get into chapter 8. And it's going to be some tough sledding. I think it's the darkest chapter in Amos. Uh one of the most famous passages in the book is the Lord, the days are coming when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. So like Amaziah said, don't prophesy. And the Lord's going to say, okay, I won't. And so we're going to be thinking about that um, a little bit more next time. Um, and I think we'll have some good news too, because we're bringing the word of God still today, aren't we? So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right have a great join us next time thanks for joining us today